0: Good morning, North Phoenix. Well, we have one thing in common this morning. We both wish Pastor Noe was back a week early. Amen? I did not grow up in a Baptist church. I'm new to the Baptist world. So I want to fully take advantage of the amen part of that. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. I am by profession a real estate developer so that answers another question that you had which was why is it doing that no the answer is another question of could a real estate developer actually be saved (laughs) the answer is yes it's it's a little bit more difficult than attorneys but God has us all in there good well now we've offended all the attorneys in the room all right one thing I do know this about real estate this real estate is sacred. Thousands of messages have been preached from this place. Hundreds and thousands of people have come forward and heard the message of Jesus and grabbed onto that hope and their lives were transformed. This place has been a lighthouse for years. I go all the way back to it as a small child. I'm going to drop this card on you. I'm fourth generation in Arizona. My great-grandfather came here in 1856. I win, bang, just like that. <laughs> but, but as a small child, I remember my dad telling me as we drove by one day on Central Avenue, a church bought that land. And I remember thinking, a church bought all that land? What's a church going to do with all that land? That's probably what a lot of people thought when they heard that North Phoenix Baptist Church had purchased this property. Well, moving forward a few years, and as a teenager, not a believer yet, I was out on Central Avenue getting into all kinds of trouble. Amen for that. Some of you older folks there, you know. You know what I'm talking about. That's right. I got arrested on Central Avenue. Just last week. No, no, it's not. No, no. It's not, it's not that. The pastors are down here going, well, what do we do? <laughs> you you got to know this about, this is how, this is why I'm here today. Because I said to Pastor Noe, who I've helped him on some stuff. I said, Pastor Noe, I just want you to know I'm here. I got you, man. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. So he said, well, I got, I got something for you. I'm going to be in Africa. I want you to preach. And I said, no, I didn't actually mean anything. <laughs> Oh, shit, that nice Christian thing you say, right? You don't really mean it. And then he drops that on me, and I said, well, let me pray about it. And five days goes by, and I'm thinking, maybe he forgot. And, and, and here comes his text. Well, what are you thinking about this? And I was like, all right. Because for me, you have no idea the path to get here. No idea. God does. But this real estate is sacred because, and many of you are still here and you may not be in this room, but you're back, you're over in the chapel right now. I'm gonna talk to my chapel people right now. You know those people, they had to raise $200,000 to buy this property. They didn't have it. They mortgaged their houses. And then the day came and they carried those shovels. There's a whole generation of folks who've been here 20, 30, 40 plus years. And I just wanna say to you, Because as the church gets moving and we're all going, it's easy to think nobody knows, nobody understands. Listen, I understand the past. We took Uptown Plaza. You know, we took it from Boston Market to what it is today. I knew the past. I knew Dale Webb built that in 1955. We wanted to take it back to what it looked like, and it was built for the glory of God. You didn't know that. You thought it was just for iced teas from AJs, but it's not just for that. It was built for the glory of God. But that generation that's been here that sacrificed so that those of us who've come in the last few years, drawn by the work that God is doing in Pastor Noe and Chris. You excited to have Chris back? Because I am. I'm like, I'm like an old dude, but I'm still there, man. I'm still, I'm still doing it. That generation, I, and I, if you don't get anything else out of it, get this. Founders, thank you. Thank you. You want to thank those people? Because you should. If that's not loud enough. They can't hear you in the chapel. Come on now. Yes. I got the Baptist yelling thing down. So we got that. But I, I grew up as a teenager out on Central Ave, getting into trouble. I wasn't listening. But you were a lighthouse. And a few years later... I actually did come to hear the gospel, and God radically, massively saved me. But all that time growing up here in Phoenix, I wasn't listening, and you were a lighthouse. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to be 60 this year, and I'm very much aware that as you get a little bit older, people start calling you sir, and you can't hear them as well, and they don't listen to you as much anymore. I hired a bunch of young guys to work for me so I can tell them what to do because otherwise people aren't listening. But you, generation that was here, sacrificed, we're grateful for you. We understand how sacred this space is. Would you dedicate with me this time? Father God, we come to you and we're aware today, Lord, that the greatest story. Is not the faithfulness of people. That's amazing, but it's your faithfulness. The greatest story of this church is not anyone's effort, but the king of the world coming down, taking on flesh, living the perfect life we couldn't, dying the death we deserved, and rising from the dead to show you had authority. God, as you are faithful, would you be faithful to your word now? Would you do a great work because of Jesus and may the giver get all the glory? We ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. That's my Baptist. There you go. So, fast forward 40 years. Last July, I walked in here with my wife. We sat right over there. It's kind of a hot section. It's got a lot of students in it, it's got a lot of activity. So, So, the old Gumpies, we came in slow, you know, we came and we sat down over here. And I heard Pastor Noe bring the word. I've I've been to seminary. I know Greek. I know Hebrew. I know some stuff. I had not heard anything like that in a long time. And we were just playing hooky. We were involved with a church planning group. We had planted a church up north and a church out west and a church east. And on that particular Sunday, it was a long time to get to. And I just said, honey, I've been traveling so much. Let's go see what's going on at North Phoenix was just going to be a Sunday, and God had other plans. That's the supernatural character of what's going on here, but I got to tell you what blew me away as I walked in, and it was every nation, tribe, and tongue. It didn't look like so many of the churches in our world. Some people say that Sunday morning's most segregated time in the week, but not this church, because God's doing a work. God's doing a God's doing something. There was gospel power and there was vibrancy and we'd sit there every week and weep as people came forward and weep as we saw people baptized. That that gospel vibrancy is rare. And it is always under attack. Amen? There are a million ways you can get distracted in the present day church committees and meetings and this and that and this, we have a task, and that's four and a half million people who are rated as the least biblically-minded city in the country. That gospel vibrancy that's here at this church is under attack, can be under attack, and in order to understand how it could be under attack and how we might be able to move forward, let's take a look at the book of Galatians. Open your Bibles to the book of Galatians this morning and hear those Bibles, turn those pages. Paul is dealing with churches that received the good news and now they're leaving for something better. And Paul's response, he's angry. This is one of the earliest, if not the earliest books in the New Testament, and it has a tone that's angry. The Apostle Paul, as opposed to commending them, he immediately has something to say. It's almost like his arms are folded and He's like, I got something to say to you. Because the Galatians had heard, and at this point, there seems to be a problem. So we're going to look at, we're actually going to look at the whole book of Galatians in just a few minutes. You're like, that can't happen. Listen, we took the Harkins Theater in Flagstaff and converted it to a government office building and they said that couldn't happen so we can do this amen well that took 7 years so this might we get down about 4 or 5 it'll be all right though no we're going to look at the text and we're going to see why is paul angry what now and so what and i don't mean so what as a shrug your shoulders so what i mean so what as what do i do with this how do i apply this to my own life well let's think about paul paul goes on his missionary journey and he goes up out of palestine over, across, and into what is present-day Turkey. In the southern area of Galatia, cities like Lystra and Derbe, and Paul goes to preach. And he finds in those cities, because the Roman highway was a major trade route, so you had Palestinian Jews from Palestine, and you had the rest of the Roman Empire coming through, and so you had massive diversity. Well, with diversity was a tremendous amount of religions. And the religions that Paul found in that city were first the Roman religion, was sort of a state religion. It was really based on ritual, mysticism, going through and doing certain things. Interesting, it was patriotic to do this. Romans felt like if I do this, that makes me a good patriot. And it was political. Paul found those people. Paul found the Greeks. The Greeks had a view where there were many gods or no gods. Stoicism or Epicureanism, give up everything or get everything. And they had a high moral tone, do the right thing. And then there were the Jews. And the Old Testament religion that was designed by God to be a truth that would draw people to it had long since lost that, and now it was rules and externals and conformity. So much so that what did Jesus say? I came to fulfill the whole law. But unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you'll die in your sins. They had lost the purpose of what God was trying to do with the law. And into this city comes Paul. Now, you know what every one of those religions had in common? And here you go. Here you go. Look up. Every single religion on the face of the planet. Listen, Christianity is not competing with all other religions and there's lots of ideas and we think ours are better and vote for us. Every single religion on this planet is based on human effort. I said human effort. You see, the Romans, if they did certain things in ritual, they were okay. And the Romans, if they or the Greeks, if they thought certain things, then they were okay. And the Jews, if they kept the law, they were okay. We just to do a whole bunch of things. I don't care whether we're talking about Western materialism or Eastern mysticism, here's how it works. Imagine this, man's inside of a box. He's frozen there. He can't be outside of that time and space. I'm in this space right here, and I'm not in yesterday, and I can't be in tomorrow. But God, by his very definition, lives outside of time and space. So religion tries to solve the problem. If God is outside time and space, how do we get to him? And religion says, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And if you do enough... You can get to God. That's every single religion on the planet. Into this world, Paul brings the gospel. And you know what the essence of the gospel is? The Word eternal took on flesh and dwelt among us. He came into the box. We're not just competing for votes to have the best religion. We're the only ones who have the story that you can't work your way to God. Therefore, God comes into the box. Pastor was teaching us that just a few weeks ago. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten Son. He came down, we looked at Him. We saw who God is, we saw who we were. And Paul continued that message to say, there is a holy God, and he does have a law, but he's not looking to you to keep his law because you can't. So Jesus lives the perfect life where he keeps the law fully. And then, because God is a holy God, and let me tell you what, you want a holy God. Uh, Don't tell us about fire and brimstone, well, that'll offend people. Listen, you want justice when you get cut off in traffic. You watch television shaking your fist. You want justice. Well, how much more do you think a holy God wants and demands justice? So what does Jesus do? He goes to the cross so that that holy God can take all lawbreakers like me and you and put all the sin on Jesus. And he dies and then rises from the dead. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to it. He's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You know what a certificate of decree is? In a Roman prison, you'd walk through the prison, and on every door, there would be a scroll, and on that scroll would be all the offenses of the criminal. Everything the criminal had done would be written on that thing, and so as you walked through the prison, you could look and say, oh, I see what you've done, I see what you've done, I see what you've done. What the Bible's saying is that God has a certificate of decree, which is hostile to us. That means every single place I've ever broken his law we're not just talking I don't know about you but in my case that scrolls rolling out the back door amen and the bible says that Jesus took that certificate of decree and he nailed it to the cross so Jesus takes on flesh lives the perfect life that no religion of law-keeping can do, and then dies the death for all the people that can't, and then rises from the dead to prove he has authority. Amen? Amen. You're like, Walter, so far this is pretty basic stuff. I think that's what the Galatians thought, because you'd think, well, Paul preached this message in Galatia, and, and it transformed the whole city, and it did, but something happened. Time has gone by and false teachers came in and they began to teach something else. Look at Galatians chapter 1. Paul an apostle not sent from men or through the agency of man but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us out of the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. So far, so good. The giver gets the glory. He starts with the resurrection. Jesus has power over life and death, but in order to be dead, he had to die. In order to die, he had to live a perfect life so that he could pay for our sins. Awesome! Verse 6. I am amazed. That you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. It's really not another. But there's some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even though we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we preach to you, let him be accursed. The Greek word is anathema. Let him be destroyed. And as I said to you, I say again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you received, let him be accursed. Paul's angry. And I think we could say God is angry. Because the amazing gospel message of man can't do anything. And God did everything. People came along and said, Jesus is good. but you need to do some other things. They want to say, Jesus paid a lot, and I can help him too. Instead of Jesus paid it all. And all to him I It's important for us to note, this is a church, folks. This can happen in a church. This can happen in believers. Where we set aside the gospel, and we start to live a life that has to do with my efforts. And these false teachers came in and they took advantage of that. They said, it isn't just Jesus' work alone. It's not just God's grace alone. It's now Jesus' and. And in chapter 3, Paul deals with it in verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus was publicly crucified? The only thing I want to find out from you, did you receive the Spirit by works of law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? They wanted Jesus' and self-effort. And then chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, he says, how is it that you turn back again to weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I've labored over you in vain. And now here's the big one, the huge lift. These guys had come in And they had convinced grown men that if they would simply be circumcised, that would be the big lift, man. They'd be in the full-on heavy sacrifice club. If you don't know what circumcision is, the pastoral staff will be down here after the service and they'll answer any questions you have with charts and whatever you need. But suffice to say, can you imagine People going into a church and saying, well, if you just do this, you'll be tied to Abraham. If you just do this, you'll be even more a son of Israel. If you just do this, then you're really, you really have it all. What's crazy to me is this letter would have been read in its entirety from Paul to the churches. So there was some dude sitting out there hearing this. Somebody that believed what the false teacher said and got circumcised and had weeks of massive pain. And he's hearing this letter about circumcision doesn't do anything, and I just see him looking over at the false teachers going, you had to get this wrong? See, you're afraid to laugh at that because, oh, no, no, should we laugh at circumcision? I just have one shot at this, so they're going to ask me to do it again. He says in chapter 5, verse 3, and I testify to every man who receives circumcision that he's under obligation to keep the whole law. You've been severed from Christ. You are seeking to be justified by the law, you've fallen from grace. Paul is angry. He's not angry at them because they're not conforming to his little plan. He's angry because the wonderful, beautiful, matchless king of the universe who condescended, came down, took on flesh, and lived a perfect life, that wonderful, beautiful king and the beautiful message got lost. That's why he's angry. These people came in and said, Jesus is good, but you need more. Jesus is good, but you don't measure up. The gospel's not enough. Your effort matters. Your pedigree matters. Your sacrifice matters. God, here you go, loves you more when. And if you're sitting out there and you're saying, well, this doesn't apply to me, moms, this applies to you every time you go on Instagram and you look at the perfect mom family. She's got her house all set perfect. And, and you look at your house and your kids don't have pants on, and you don't even know where the pants are. <laughs> and you're feeling like, I don't measure up. Folks, we de- do we not deal with this every day? Amen? Oh, no, Walter, we, we have this. We're Baptists. No, you don't. <laughs> you don't know us. No, I don't. But I know what the Scriptures teach, and I know this, that pressure to perform that pressure to be something, that that pressure to add something, that pressure to say, Jesus is good, but I got to do better. Man, you know this. Man, is industry tough? I'm trying to love Jesus, and I'm trying to be out there and be successful at what I do, but I'm trying to make Jesus central to it all. Jesus central, be successful. Jesus central, be... It's hard to do. Constantly, I feel like I've failed on some things. And so then I want to go, well, look, look, here's my really good project. I know this one's not as good, but God, look at this, look at this. See, when the gospel gets set aside for human effort, and it obviously can happen in churches because it happened in this church, then all of a sudden it doesn't look at all like the lighthouse God intends us to be. And you know what the result here was in Galatians? It goes bad fast. These people had become arrogant. They had gotten mean. They were boastful. They were self-righteous. There were cliques. They were unloving. They were not reaching the world around them. Because if I think I'm better than people, then I'm not going to reach out to that neighbor who plays loud music and throws Budweiser bottles in the curb and I'm mad at him. But if I recognize I'm a desperate sinner who the king of the universe bowed down to lift me out of the gutter, I'm going to be over there in the gutter sweeping that up, telling him, hey, 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 I love you, man. Thanks for living in my neighborhood. Man, if there's ever been a time, folks, where we are dividing lines politically and every other way, where this is good and that's bad, and if you're good, you're here and you're there, that's not our banner. Our banner is the gospel, amen? That's our banner. That's where we stand. So, Paul, how are you going to deal with this? Really simple, and we're wrapping it up now. Really simple. Chapter 5, verse 1. It's really a key verse to the whole book of Galatians. Paul writes this, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm, and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. You know what this is? This is Paul's blue-faced William Wallace moment. You know what I'm saying? Come on, we got any Braveheart folks here, okay? My wife said, don't use this because all the young people are gonna be like, what? Is that a talkie? You know, no. see, my, folk, my 40 and up there laughing, the rest of you are like, William Wallace, Braveheart, Just work with me. You know that scene when they're on the battlefield and one of the guys yells out to William Wallace, We'll run, and we'll live. And William Wallace says, I, you'll live. And many days from now, would you not give all those days to be able to say to our enemies, you can take our lives, but you can't take our freedom. That's what 5 verse 1 says. Jesus set us free. Why would we give it up? You know why? Because Charles Spurgeon said we've been legalists longer than we've been believers. We're born legalists. I got this better than you. I know this better than you. I I, I got that. And we start looking down and judging. You know what the world needs? The world needs believers who are at the bottom looking up at everybody, saying, how do I serve you? How do I care for you? We got that mixed up with social justice when we're getting all kind of messed up with that. Listen, you're on the bottom looking up at everybody. You serve everybody. You're getting fired up, Walter. Calm down. (laughs) Remember, remember, it's just once. That's all. You just got to do once. We're coming down the home stretch. See, Paul says this in chapter 2, verse 16. He says, Knowing a man is not justified by works of the law. Chapter 3, verse 3, he's saying... Are you so foolish, Galatians? Having begun by the Spirit, are we now perfected by the flesh? You know what I, I find church people do this. J.D. Grier says it this way. He's president of Southern Baptist. I'm a Southern Baptist now, so I'm pretty excited about that. He said, lots of believers think the gospel's the diving board and they jump into the pool of Christianity. The gospel's the whole pool. You don't move beyond the gospel. You don't set that aside and say, well, back in 37, I came forward, but I got serious stuff now. No. Every single day. How can you keep standing firm if you're not preaching the gospel to yourself every single day? The giver gets the glory every single day. The getter gets the grace. Is that all right? The giver gets the glory. The getter gets the grace. So here you go. Hey, Galatians. You know the gospel is working when, and that applies to you, North Phoenix. You know the gospel's working when. Chapter five, verse twenty-two. Watch, watch. For the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then he throws this in. And against such things there is no law, because he's kind of putting that in that hey, the law isn't going to do it. The law's not the thing that's going to get you there. It's faith working through love that produces obedience. And by preaching the gospel every day, it sets where I am, and it causes me to look to Jesus, and then I begin to tie into him. You know, so many believers are like rose bushes. There's not flowers, so they get some roses and staple them on. And after a while, the roses get old and dead. But believers... We're pressing into Jesus, knowing what he did for us, knowing how he loves us. I don't have anything to prove. I don't have anything to lose. All of a sudden, that's what roses sound like, okay? (laughs) And that is the fruit of the Spirit. That's what happens when the gospel's active. People look like this. Here you go, when the gospel's active, chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, even if any man is caught in any trespass, you are who are spiritual. Restore in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself, lest you be tempted. You know, when gospel people are together, do you know what happens? People confess sin. They're not trying to be something. If you're the person that when somebody comes forward and says, well, I'm really struggling with pornography, and you're like, "Ah, I would never... You're not 6-1, and you're not a gospel person. 6-1 says, you who are spiritual, restore in a spirit of gentleness. I've had men in my life, at my worst moments, put their arm around me and say, I love you. We're going to get through this. Amen? Amen. And a gospel church is that. When we turn the lights on and open the doors, people are flocking. Not because Noe is amazing, and Noe is amazing. Can we just say that, all right? Amen? But they're going to be flocking in because they know that in all their brokenness, they don't have to play. The world plays around church people because they're intimidated, because they know they're not good enough. We ought to be the first people that know we're not good enough. Chapter 6, verse 2, bear one another's burdens. Gospel people care for one another. And here I got one for you. Verse 6, and let the one who has taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things With him who teaches, you know what that says? Gospel people love their leaders. He's not here today, so I can talk about him. Pastor, no, he's amazing. I've been on some of the best ministry teams and staff around the world. I've heard some of the great, great, great people preach. I've preached in big pulpits, and I gotta tell you something. I've not been around a man with that level of giftedness. But he's not perfect. Did you know? But I'm going to tell you right now, if your relationship to pastor is where you're a critic and you found this and you see this and you see that, I would tell you, repent. Get the gospel working in your life. Because verse 6, and I say it on the authority of God's word, that gospel people love their leaders. Amen? gospel people love their leaders. Can you imagine, hey, founder generation and new generation and diversity, if we're all pulling together and we're submitting to our pastors and we're submitting to our elders and, and we're working together shoulder to shoulder, can you imagine what we can do? As exciting as it is that 50 years ago people got shovels and they built this thing, how much greater things does God have for us? You, yeah, you could get excited about that. Last. You know, if those things are happening, folks, we're a lighthouse. And then we're all little lighthouses so that our pastor who is eminently gifted and God's doing crazy things, crazy things like me saying, hey, I'll serve you. And he's like, well, you need to preach. That's crazy. But he did it. If we can come alongside him and be those gospel people, man, we can do some stuff. Amen? I said we can do some stuff. Amen? Amen. So what? That's the application part of this. So what? How, how do I apply this? Keep standing firm. Keep standing firm. We, we can't have two or 3,000 people here and have two or 300 people in small groups. You know why? Because you can't stand firm if you don't got people with you. This isn't just a show. We don't come every Sunday to see Devin Booker shoot threes. He's pretty good, though. And he always has fly shoes on. We need each other to stand firm. We got to hold each other up. You know why? Because there's times where I start, and my wife and I have gotten into this habit of saying, hey, 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 are you believing the gospel? We start feeling like I'm failing, and I start working. I start getting short and angry with people. Then she's asking me, "Hey, hey, are you believing the gospel?" Secondly, you got to preach the gospel to yourself. You got to preach the gospel to yourself, and in order to help you do that, uh, here on the screen, here on the screen, we have the gospel prayer. The, we there we go. This is also J.D. Grier, who's the president of Southern Baptists, and I just feel like the best days are ahead for Southern Baptists. This is the gospel prayer. I try to pray this every day. I woke up at 4 a.m. and I prayed this. And it goes like this, in Christ there is nothing I could do to make you love me more, and nothing I've done that makes you love me less. Is that not important? There are people here who are struggling with an abortion or something or some issue from their past and saying, God will never forgive me. Yeah, he will. Jesus went to the cross he paid it all. Think about this, it'll blow your mind. Jesus died for sins you haven't even thought about yet. Think about that. you got sins like two weeks from now, you haven't even thought about them yet. Jesus already died for those sins. Does that blow you away? He's not out there going, oh, (laughs) (laughs) now you're really going to get punished. That is not the gospel. The gospel is in Christ there's nothing I can do to make you love me more and nothing I've done that makes you love me less. Second, you are all I need today for everlasting joy. I was at a funeral yesterday for a 26 girl who took her own life. I couldn't say to her parents, hey, you just need a trip to Hawaii. You've got to change up the circumstances. But I could say, king of the universe knows and he loves you and he's here with you in your presence is fullness of joy third as you have been to me so I will be to others that's sort of how we operate Jesus has been gracious to me I'm gracious to others Jesus has forgiven me I forgive others you have people in this room and people around your life that you haven't forgiven And I want to tell you on the authority of Scripture, how dare you? We've been forgiven everything, but you don't know what they did to me. Listen, I've been through a church split. I can tell you about what people can do. 20 years later, I can tell you some stuff. But Jesus forgave me. How would I withhold that from them? And then last, as I pray, I'll measure your compassion by the cross and your power by the resurrection. So as I'm praying for God to do stuff, I know there's a broken heart there of compassion and there's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me. Amen? So we gotta keep standing firm. We gotta preach the gospel to ourselves, help each other in that. And then this. We gotta finish well. I'm gonna be 60 this year. So, my wife and I sit at a table and have our devotions in the morning. I'm not telling you because we're spiritual, it's just what we do. And I looked at her the other day and I'm like, we're going to be 60. I mean, I'm going to be 60. You're gorgeous. But me, I'm going to be old. You're not. We're going to be 60. I wonder if we have 10 years left. I wonder if we have 15 years left. I don't know how much time we have, but I know I want to make it count. we got to finish. Well, you know, the Christian life is a lot like a trip to Hawaii, right? Six-hour flight. You're so excited. You get your Hawaii ticket in your hand, and you get, you're walking down the gangplank, and you sit down, and you're like, we're going to Hawaii. You're all excited about it. And then the plane sits on the tarmac for four hours, And then you get up, and you get turbulence, and then they got to fly around for a while. And then then you're sitting next to that guy, that guy, Mr. Armchair Stealer. You know, he steals that armrest every time. I sit next to that guy every single flight. He's grabbing my armchair. Little kids kicking the chair. You're getting sore. You're getting achy. And all of a sudden, you forget the amazing trip you're on. Then you look out the window, and you see Hawaii. And it all doesn't matter so much. See, that's what the gospel's supposed to be for us. For us believers, the gospel's supposed to be that thing we look out the window and we see it. And we say, I see it. I see it, Lord. I, I, I know I'm struggling in my marriage. I know this isn't going so well. I know this. I know that. But I know this. You love me. I see it, Lord. I see it. Would you pray with me? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, this is a sacred time here and has been a sacred time forever. But it's really a sacred time for all of us because the first folks I wanna talk to are those of us who've been in the church and somehow we've added stuff onto the gospel. Our efforts, our position, our attainments. And we have hearts that judge others who haven't done what we've done. And we're just tired. We're on that flight to Hawaii, and all we can be aware of is that our chair is getting kicked. But we need to be people every single Sunday who plant the flag of Galatians 5:1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Every single Sunday as God gives our gifted pastor the ability to bring the truth. All of us who think, well, that's for the folks who don't know the gospel. No, it isn't. It's for us too. Every Sunday we get to declare. Every Sunday we get to declare, I'm free. I'm free. I'm on my way. Jesus loves me need anything else I don't know about you but if you're here and the amazing nature of the gospel's gotten lost then maybe this is a Sunday for you to get up and come forward plant your flag and say Lord I want to be gospel people I want to think about this every day I don't want to have it fall back into works I don't want to play church I don't want to have me I, I, I want to be a gospel man or woman maybe, maybe that's you and if you're here today You don't know Jesus. I can just tell you right now, you know about falling short. You can't even keep your own standards. You know about wondering about your purpose. You know about having a broken heart. You know about constructing your own God and you know about the effort and you're tired. Well, stop building your own religion or playing some other religion. And receive the gift that God has given you in Jesus. Receive the gift. Lay down the burden. Lay it all down. You can do that today. I don't know why you came today. If you don't know Jesus, you have the opportunity to say, I'm tired of my own efforts. If he lived the perfect life that I can't live and he died the death I deserve and then he rose from the dead and he loves me and he's put that stamp on me, I want that love. I'm tired. I'm ready. If that's you, there'll be pastors down here. Right here at the front. And you'll have opportunity to come and speak to them. But, but my heart today really is for those of us in the church man, if we've forsaken our first love, if we've forsaken the gospel, let's plant that flag. And when pastor gets back, and pastor brings the word, let's be the people who are ready to come alongside of that. And let's see Phoenix transformed. Hey, founding generation, I was just a teenager running from God and you were a lighthouse and I thank you for that. Let's be the greatest lighthouse we've ever been in the days to come.